Hey, you're listening to Clinical Mistrials, a true crime podcast about unethical research in our communities and what's been done about it. I'm your host, Nicole Fisher. All right, let's get into it. So let me set the scene for you. It's 1951, post-World War II, right? Holmesburg Prison in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There are approximately 1,200 inmates and it is 85% black. It's also been described as one of the most dungeonous prisons in the state, like super gloomy. There's an outbreak of athlete's foot and this concerns the prison medical staff. So they call in an expert. Enter Dr. Albert Kligman a UPenn, University of Pennsylvania, dermatologist. So he's there to assess the situation, provide solutions. He's there to help. And I like picture dude strolling up with a pen and a pad and a plan. And he takes a look around at like captive, caged human beings. And he has this twinkle in his eye. And I, I say this because Dr. Kligman's feelings upon arrival were actually captured in an interview with a reporter later on. Okay, let me quote this. So he was quoted as saying, all I saw before me were acres of skin. It was like a farmer seeing a fertile field for the first time. You get me? Okay, so he sets on a path conducting cosmetic clinical trials for various lotions and radioactive potions on these inmates for the next 23 years. Okay, so one of the most commonly noted procedures was the skin patch test. And the way that it had been described by previous participants was that it was kind of like a lattice or checkerboard of tape applied to your back that would create squares of skin. And in each square of skin, a different product could be tested. So when those products were applied, a heat lamp would be turned onto their back to, I assume, expedite a reaction. Again, some of these tests were radioactive. So many of these men had lifelong scars. Physical scars, definitely psychological scars, but I will get into the details of all of that later. Dr. Kligman is this rock star dermatologist, right? All the students want to shadow him. All the dermatologists want to be him. So he takes on a second year medical resident, Dr. Bernard Ackerman. Initially, Dr. Ackerman didn't really have any qualms about the clinical trials. He didn't feel like anything was going on that was shady. Because the way it was explained to him was, hey, we're, we're paying these inmates. And at other prisons, they don't get paid. Um, also, some of our inmates, once they're released, they go on to work in clinical labs. So this exposure is actually beneficial to them. Now, Dr. Ackerman's younger brother is a dental surgeon at UPenn at the same time. So he invites his younger brother out to the prison with him one day. And almost immediately upon witnessing the conditions that these inmates were in during these clinical trials, his younger brother asks him, have you ever heard of the Nuremberg trials? And he hadn't. 
Actually, in 1998, Dr. Ackerman gives an account of this on NPR's Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Love her. I will try to link that story somewhere in the show notes or in the transcript. But Dr. Ackerman becomes so upset with the immorality of the situation that he actually later goes on to give witness testimony in over 200 trials on behalf of these men, noting that Kligman's research had no part in civilized society and that it was in opposition to the Hippocratic Oath and to the Nuremberg Code, as his younger brother told him. These codes are a part of the Nuremberg Trials, which were criminal charges of crimes against humanity during World War II, namely the experiments conducted on Jews in concentration camps by Nazis. The first principle of the Nuremberg Code states that the voluntary consent of a human subject is absolutely essential. And this is something that I love about ethics, like the philosophy of it all. What constitutes voluntary consent, right? In my mind, voluntary means something really different for people who are institutionalized, incarcerated, who don't have any agency. If you're not addressing these things prior to obtaining consent, you don't have it. Even still, Kligman admitted to enrolling participants into his clinical trials without consent. In a 1986 interview, he says, and I quote, I began to go to the prison regularly, although I had no authorization. It was years before authorities knew that I was conducting various studies on prisoner volunteers. Things were simpler then. Informed consent was unheard of. No one asked me what I was doing. It was a wonderful time. All right, now let's jump ahead 20 years. It's 1971, and a literacy instructor from Villanova's graduate school by the name of Alan Hornblum arrives at the Pennsylvania Detention Center. He recalls seeing men strapped in beds, bandaged up with gauze and like medical adhesive and tape all over their bodies. And he just assumed that maybe there was some sort of like prison brawl earlier, some cell block brawl. And he questioned some of the guards about it. They told him, no, you know, this is just a perfume test. It's, it's a clinical trial. So he was a little confused by this, a little horrified. And the guards were like, yo, like this is small potatoes. Have you seen Holmesburg? And this is what I assume piqued this man's interest. Uh, he started poking around and asking prisoners at Holmesburg, you know, how they were recruited, uh, how much they were paid. He even said he poked around so much, like he really started to annoy some of the guards and the prisoners because like these studies had been around for the last 20 years and he was, he was the new guy, right? So he figures out that inmates were paid about 25 cent for the normal prison jobs like sweeping the halls or I don't know like collecting and passing out the books I look I am not sure what it's like now but from my extensive research on like prison commentary from watching Shawshank Redemption uh oh brother were art thou life right I I feel like those were the coveted jobs so this means that $1, 5 $10 a day to participate in a clinical trial, that looks real good, right? This part here, this really gets at coercion. There are protections in place now that caution against undue coercion and undue influence, especially in vulnerable populations like prisoners. But 
prisoners weren't really properly protected until we had the Belmont Report and a very specific federal regulation, which is 46 CFR 45, subpart C, for all my clinical research professionals out there, um, until those were kind of signed into law in 1978. And just as a note, as a part of that, a study has to be minimal risk and a prisoner or a prisoner representative has to serve or be included on the IRB, which is an institutional review board, and that's the group that approves research. So you have to have them included in order to get research passed. Additionally, as an adult literacy specialist, Hornblum reported that the literacy of the prison inmates was on average like sixth grade reading level. So, you know, I think that comprehension and health literacy is an entirely different episode. So I think what I'll do is just, I'll ask the question, can you truly give consent when you don't understand what you're consenting to? Now, Hornblum worked at that prison for 10 years and he actually later goes on to publish three books on what he's witnessed there. There's a documentary based on his first book that this podcast title kind of reflects, definitely reflects, called Acres of Skin. Like, that's a lot of material. And honestly, this episode just scratches the surface of all that's gone on at Holmesburg. And Hornblum has a quote from a taped interview that really gets at the vastness of it all. He says, Holmesburg was the Kmart of human research in 20th century America. No institution used more people over more experiments over as many years as Holmesburg. Edward Yusuf Anthony arrived at Holmesburg, a very healthy 19-year-old, serving a two-year sentence for marijuana, a small amount of marijuana. Yusuf left Holmesburg physically and neurologically scarred due to Kligman's experiments. He talks about the skin patch tests that were sponsored by Johnson & Johnson and conducted by UPenn under Dr. Kligman as a principal investigator. Yusuf testified that these tests would create such an intense itching that it almost burned and scratching at it wouldn't provide him any relief. Like the only thing he could do would be to run steaming hot water over his body to get some sort of relief. It would soothe him just temporarily, but nothing made it completely stop. And he couldn't sleep. And it just became so intolerable that he started asking the guards, you know, can can I walk over to, I guess the, the uh, clinic was in the H block. So can I walk over to H block and talk to some of the study staff? They always refused him, but again, he was at his max point. And finally, he just like slipped away, ran over to H block and found some study staff personnel and pleaded with them for some sort of relief, some sort of release from this. The study staff personnel said that they would figure something out and come back to him later. Yusuf said that later that night or morning, whatever you want to call it, at 2 a.m., uh, the guy comes to his cell and escorts him back down to like where the clinical trials are held. So he has him disrobe and he rubs this solution all over his body. And Yusuf said it smelled a little bit like vinegar. 
And then Dude walks over to a safe, gets a syringe out with some solution in it, doesn't explain it to him, pops it into his arm. And Yusuf said that it was just an immediate sense of relief. Like it just kind of all washed off of him in that moment. Like there was still this like very slight itch, but like the the pain that it caused, it kept him up in the middle of the night, that dissipated. Although later he'll say that, you know, it still took about a month for his skin to normalize. And even after his release from prison, his skin would still become inflamed sometimes and itch to the point of needing to soothe it under hot water. And honestly, like this, my situation is not on this level, I am so sure, but I can kind of relate to that. Like I have eczema and sometimes if I'm inflamed and I'm having an outbreak, especially when I was a kid, I would have to run my hands under super hot water. There's just something about the sensory, like, overload that releases the pain i don't know super weird but on top of that his hands would swell up like baseball mittens and his fingernails grew so thick and long they would curl under his hand he said he had to use a wood file to keep them at bay nuts and in an interview i watched of him at princeton university i think he really wanted to get across and explain prison is hard especially without money. Like you need money to survive in prison. And I think he really wanted to get that point across before he went into the other clinical trials that he participated in, because I'm sure, you know, in his time in explaining all of this and telling his story, people have asked him like, well, why go back if you've had all these adverse events and these bad reactions? But this again, 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 is what undue influence and coercion leads you to. So the second study he participated in was a diet supplement study. And they asked him to take a pill three times a day. And something he said, something he noted was like the perk of it was that he got a real breakfast every morning. Um, He would get real eggs and cereal. So he liked that. Um, After a while though, his bowels became really backed up. And his belly became distended and swollen. And, you know, when he tried to move his bowels, his rectum prolapsed. So it turned inside out. They told him that he would be treated at a hospital. But on the day that the procedure was scheduled, uh, they took him to what he called a makeshift hospital in C-Block. There they performed a hemorrhoid operation And he said that he was like the last operation of the day. And I guess he had kind of witnessed some guys come in and out. And so he kind of knew that something different was happening to him because he was screaming from the pain. It was so painful that he passed out. He blacked out. He woke up back in his cell alone. He didn't have any instructions. He didn't have any aftercare. He just had to figure it out. He's still in pain. He's checking himself out and he noticed that he has like a drain in his rectum. And so he's like, okay, that must be what's causing the burning and the itching. But there's nothing he can do about it. He's in such pain that he screams all night long. He can barely sleep. And honestly, this goes on for another 30 days. 
Yusuf said that the physician would come in about once a month to check in on the clinical trial participants. So when that day finally came, one of the nurses pointed Yusuf out to the doctor like, hey, he's been suffering for a month. He's been screaming. He can't sleep. I can't figure out what's wrong with him. Can you have a look? So the physician, you know, gives him a once over, asks Yusuf to flip over, and he notices that he still has that cork in his rectum. So he goes to pull it out, and upon pulling it out, he reopens Yusuf's stitches, creating so much more pain for Yusuf. It further down the line causes more infection. His rectum is spasming out of control. They had to inject him with opium. It's just a mess. And to this day, Yusuf has never fully recovered. He still has gastrointestinal issues. When presented with a third test, obviously Yusuf is apprehensive. He's like, nah, I have had really bad experiences on the last two studies. I'm straight. But they're like, no, this is a completely different sponsor. It's sponsored by the government. It's supposed to be safe and it pays a lot more. You'll get paid $50 to just do math problems. So he considers it and he's like, all right, that sounds okay with me. So this was conducted by the Army Chemical Corps. The study consisted of performing mathematical problems and he actually had to pass a math screener first which he did. And the second time he was told to do it again, but to do it after drinking what he called a shot glass of something that was never explained to him, not even today. But he said that his entire reality shifted after taking this. It's given me very LSD vibes, right? Like, Everything is amplified. Sounds from the overhead speaker. Uh, colors are doing weird things. And he ends up failing that second portion of the test because he's so out of it. Uh, he forgot to complete it. It's literally blank. Yusuf doesn't feel like himself anymore. And for a while, and probably still, he earned a nickname Outer Limits from other inmates because he became so anxious and dangerous that not even his friends really wanted to hang around him. And he started having these violent outbursts that eventually landed him in the hole for 10 days. He still suffers from a nervous condition and he feels that his body has prematurely deteriorated due to these tests. And it's affected his personal life, his work life. He feels that it's impossible to keep a job due to all of these lingering effects. And, and you know what? He's not the only one. 298 previous inmates of Holmesburg filed a class action lawsuit against UPenn for negligence, recklessness, and carelessness. They also named Johnson & Johnson, Kligman's private research firm, the city of Philadelphia, and Dow Chemical in their claim. The case was dismissed because the statutes of limitations had lapsed, so essentially they waited too long to sue. You have like two years to file a claim against damages, and in addition, they were, while they were in prison, asked to sign a form that waived the right to sue the prison or to sue UPenn. So I have not yet given an account of Dow Chemicals clinical trials, 
because while it's proven to be true, like for sure, it's still somewhat of this unsolved mystery. Dow chemical sponsored tests that were conducted under Dr. Kligman, and they tested dioxin on 70 men. And dioxin is an active ingredient in Agent Orange, which was used during Vietnam and is a known carcinogen. Exposure to this chemical has been linked to a slew of cancers, a slew of neurological disorders like Parkinson's, also heart disease and birth defects like spina bifida. Actually, Vietnam vets and their offspring receive compensation and free health care from the VA if there's been some known exposure. Actually, I think that I read that if you if you are a part of the Vietnam War, it's just automatic. You don't have to prove any like contact with this agent. So while something like this would be a good start to offer the victims of this clinical trial, we don't have any names. No one knows who these men are. Dr. Kligman claimed not to have any record of the participants. He said that he had handed off all of his study materials to Dow Chemical and whatever was left in his own personal possession had been burned away in a fire. Now, when asked, a spokesperson for Dow Chemical said they never received any participant names. I guess we'll never know. But no, really, I hate this. (laughs) Anyway, Dr. Klipman goes on to become a multi-millionaire. He produces Retin-A. And if you haven't had a brush with Retin-A in your youth for acne, you'll have a brush with it in your 40s and 50s for wrinkles. And I guess I say all that to say this was this is a wildly popular product. And this man has never engaged in any real discussion about the harm that he's caused, the long-term harm that he has caused these men in his clinical trials under his oversight. And even after 30 years of hindsight, he continued to deny any wrongdoing, stating, he says this, he says, my use of paid prisoners as research subjects in the 1950s and 60s was keeping with this nation's standard protocol for conducting scientific investigations at the time. There is, okay, yeah, there's another, I have another quote of his here, but you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm done quoting Kligman. He's had enough airtime. So what I will also say is that the University of Pennsylvania offered to treat these men in their hospital after the class action suit. But, you know, surprise, surprise, none of them accepted. That trust was already broken. It's over. It's done with, right? There's even an account from a former inmate, Mr. Johnny Williams. After a car accident, he was taken into the hospital. And the doctors got to talking about like treatment plans. And this man straight up walked out of the hospital. He was done. He was finished. And he was fearful. And you know what? Yusuf has a similar account of medical mistrust. He talks about needing medication for hepatitis C. And he went, he went an entire 10 years without any treatment or medication due to his fear of medical staff in hospitals. And I'll mention one other person, Leotis Jones. He was another inmate that suffered under these clinical trials. Even upon his release back to his family, he still struggled with lingering effects of irritability. He would sometimes lash out at his loved ones. 
And his daughter, Adrienne Jones Austin, has her own personal testimony about how this has affected her and their family. And she's become an advocate for the rights of prisoners and for the family that a lot of them have left behind. On Friday, May 7th in Philly, there will be an outdoor viewing of the documentary Acres of Skin, Medical Abuse Behind Bars. And Adrienne will be speaking to her experiences at this event. I believe the event starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it'll be on the corner of 33rd and Spruce Street. I personally will be there. And later that week, I'll be interviewing Adrienne one-on-one because I think it's really important for folks to hear about these things in the voice of the participant or of the family members that were affected. All right, everyone, that is it for part one. Stay tuned for the interview in the next episode. If you have any questions, suggestions, whatever, uh, shoot me an email at clinicalmistrials at gmail.com. Or for my friends and family, which are probably the only people listening to this, you know, you can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. And don't forget to follow this podcast so that you're notified of new episodes of Clinical Mistrials. Thanks for listening. Bye.